This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Luke chapter 24, it speaks of Jesus talking with the disciples. Notice in verse 49, it says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you, upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. We know that's the Acts 2 experience that we'll talk about in a little bit. What I want you to see is that has not yet occurred. This is prior to the Acts 2 experience that the disciples had in the upper room. Most of the the church world says that the church began on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. This takes place before then. John chapter 20 takes place almost 50 days before, 47 days before the day of Pentecost takes place. What is that, a month and a half, a little over a month and a half? This that we're about to read is taking place before the day of Pentecost. We don't know exactly when. It's not the same occurrence is on uh, the, the day that he appeared in John chapter 20. But it's before the day of Pentecost is some, you know, to, in, in some measure, some time frame. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, verse 50. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. That's sure not the condition in John chapter 20. They're behind closed doors. They're keeping their, their meeting place secret because they're afraid of the Jews. Well, they must not be afraid of the Jews anymore because they're openly in the temple praising and blessing God. They're not hiding out anymore. And notice the thing that it says, they return with great joy. They return with great joy. It's interesting to me that the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it says the, the fruit of the Spirit is first love. We're born again by the love of God. Secondly, joy. Now, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit are the characteristics of God, the nature of God that take place in the born-again believer. Well, why are, how come they have joy if they're not born again? How can they have joy? How can they have boldness and no fear anymore? Because even though they've seen Jesus, I mean, let's face it, they've been walking with Jesus for three years. And they wind up being behind closed doors because they're afraid. How come they're not afraid anymore? Something's changed. Something's happened. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Here's Luke, who's the writer of the book of Acts, relating the same thing that he said in in Luke 24 verse 49. I guess I better back up to verse 4. Well, let's just back up. uh, Start in verse 1. The former treatise I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's referring to that we know of as the Gospel of Luke. He said, that former letter that I wrote, here's what it was about. It was about all the things Jesus began both to say and to do. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. What commandments did he give them? Well, he's going to tell you one in just a moment. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In other words, it says that after Jesus was raised from the dead, three days after Passover, when he was raised from the dead, it's another forty-seven days. There's fifty days between Passover and Pentecost. Pentecost means fifty. There's fifty days. So Jesus appeared to them in John chapter 20 on day 47. 
if we're counting down to Pentecost. And it says that from that time forward, he stayed with them off and on for 40 days. So he finally disappears from them about a week before Pentecost. A week before Acts chapter 2. Speaking to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. Can I ask you a question? Why, why, why? If they've already been born again in John chapter 20, is he saying, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Ghost? Could it be that not only is it important for the Holy Ghost to be in you, the well of water springing up into everlasting life, but it's also important if you're going to do the work of God, finish the work of Jesus here on the earth now that he's gone to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven, you're going to need those rivers of living water that connect you to other people. Apparently so, because that's what he tells them. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now if John chapter 20 is true, they've been baptized, or they have been saved, they have received the Holy Ghost about 40, for 40 days. They've been saved for a little over a month before this point in time. Assuming that this is the last day that they, that they see Jesus, the last of the 40 days that he appears to them before Pentecost. Seven days left between this occurrence, this time when Jesus speaks to them, or that it's recorded, and the day of Pentecost takes place. So if that's the case, then between John chapter 20 and Acts chapter 1, there's been about 40 days. He appeared to them on day 47. He departs from them on day 7. You do the math. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So Jesus speaks of the baptism of the Holy Ghost as in a different form, in a different manner than receiving everlasting life. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel, to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. But you shall receive power. But you shall receive power. But you shall receive power. Notice he did not say, and you shall be converted. Notice he did not say, and you shall be born again. Notice he did not say, you shall receive eternal life. Now folks, if the day of Pentecost was the day that the church was born, there's nothing more important for them than to receive eternal life. Why isn't he talking to them about eternal life? Because they're already saved. They're already born again. Remember what we read in John chapter 7, where Jesus said in the last day of the feast, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Belly meaning innermost being. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Holy Ghost, which they that believe on him should receive. They qualify for that. They believed on him. That's why they breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. That's why they received the remission of sins. That's why there was a change in their nature. A change from sadness to joy. From fear to boldness. Now they have believed on him. 
And they're about to receive these rivers of living water. And notice how Jesus says it. You'll receive power. So those rivers are powerful things then, obviously. By definition, they must be the power of God. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of power. Because that's what he said that we'd receive. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I love how John Osteen used to say this. After the disciples were born again, after the, the, the eleven received the Holy Ghost. Well, actually there were ten in John chapter 20. And then a few verses later, Thomas, who wasn't there at the time, shows up and Jesus deals with him. So eventually all eleven of them are, filled with, are, are uh, saved, receive salvation. Then Jesus said to them, this is the way John Osteen used to say it. Since they've already been commissioned to go into all the world, he tells them, don't even think about having church without the power of the Holy Ghost. Boy, I wish the modern day church took that seriously. I'd like another thing that, uh, that this verse brings out. Notice he says, you shall receive power. He didn't say you'll feel powerful. I think people confuse those. If we have the power of the Holy Ghost, people surmise or people assume we're going to feel the power. Well, where does the Bible say you'll ever feel the power? The Bible says you have the power if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit or filled with the Spirit. The Bible says you have the power. It doesn't say you feel the power. But we, being natural creatures, are so used to our feelings, we assume that anything we have we feel, and if we don't feel it, we don't have it. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that means 50 days after Jesus was crucified, 47 days after Jesus appeared to him in John chapter 20, seven days after Jesus speaks to him and says, Stay in Jerusalem until you receive this power from on high. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled, all. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now folks, this can't be salvation, because tongues don't accompany salvation. Very rarely will somebody get saved and begin to speak with tongues. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes somebody will be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit simultaneously. But that's a pretty rare occasion. Pretty rare occurrence. So it can't be salvation that, that they receive. This can't be the beginning of the church. This is the beginning of the work of the church. But it can't be the beginning of the church. Nowhere does the Bible say you'll receive power after you make Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible talks about eternal life. It talks about a change from the inside. But power is accompanied, it always accompanies the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing School is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare 
our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross. And on the cross, Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being, and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We talked about that from the position or the uh, uh, perspective of the unsaved. Let me show you this from the perspective of those who are saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17 is one of my favorites. You've heard me mention this and speak of this over and over again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Another translation says a new creation. Another translation says a new species of being. In other words, the born-again believer, the born-again man or woman, is something that never existed before. Something didn't exist in the Old Testament. Not even Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve weren't born again. Actually, the only born-again experience they had was being born again into death, spiritual death. The born-again experience is, is brand new for the new covenant. That's why we have a better covenant established upon better promises. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new species of being. In other words, that emptiness that the unsaved have in the stillness and the quietness of their own spirit, that emptiness can be filled only by the blood of Jesus. Somebody once said there's a God-sized hole in every man and woman. Only Jesus can fill that. He made the sacrifice that we couldn't make. He paid a price we couldn't pay. So that you just simply by receiving what he has done can be rejoined to the God that made you. And that's the only way you can be. I don't care what a man's philosophy is. I don't care what his what his uh, uh, practice, his religious practice is. I don't care what his reasonings are. I don't care about any of those other things. When he gets quiet, he knows there's an emptiness inside of him. That's one of the great tragedies. You've got people that are in uh, false cults and false religions, giving themselves over to rituals and practices and different things like that. And in the quietness of their own heart, the stillness of their own heart, they know there's an emptiness. When they're, they're going about the ritual, they're going about the routine to fill whatever that emptiness is. Same thing's true for those who are irreligious or non-religious. They fill themselves with the world's activities, but they're still empty. There's nothing the world can offer us that can end that emptiness. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. So when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, when we accept his sacrifice as our own, that's when we come into this condition. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new species of being. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. What things is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual things. Spiritual things. Verse 21. For he, God, has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, or in him. In my opinion... The key words in this verse are made. God made Jesus to be sin. He became. That's what the word made means. It means to become. Jesus became sin 
so that you might become righteous. As I said, you can't escape who you are. One of the great tragedies in the church world is that people haven't accepted the fact that they've been made righteous. Because the Bible says you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But the devil wants to plant the thought in you that maybe you're not. Maybe righteousness is not the way the Bible says. He'll try to keep you ignorant of what the Bible does say to begin with. But then secondly, he may say, well, maybe it's different for you. Maybe that's the way it works for other people. But you are not good enough to be righteous. Folks, like I said, I am a man and I'm working every day to be a better man. Now, what does that mean? That means for me that I'm trying to live in such a way that I can be better and better and better. In the same way, I was born again into the family of God. I was born again to be a Christian. What does that mean? That means God made me righteous. I was born again as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I work every day to, be, to let that righteousness show forth. But there's a difference between being born something and behavior. I might, after having been born again, be considered by the world to be a good man or a bad man based on my behavior. But it doesn't change the fact of what happened in Christ Jesus. When you learn, learn to accept that, I was made the righteousness of God in Christ. Boy, it changes everything. For example, the Bible says in, in James chapter 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Do you know what? If you've been born again, you are a prayer whiz. You are a prayer expert. You are in position. Now, there are conditions. You've got to pray effectively. You've got to pray fervently. But you have met the condition that the, Bible, that the devil will try to tell you is out of reach for you. Most people read that verse of Scripture and the devil speaks to him and says, Well, if only you were righteous, that would work. Now, that part's settled if you're in Christ. You can't escape who you are. The most miserable people in the world are people that have been made righteous and they question it. Or they've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus and they're living apart from it. Those are the most miserable people in the world. Because they're not living up to who they are. They're in a, they're in a, a spiritual identity crisis. We call those backsliders in many cases. Well, what is it about backsliding? If backsliding was so great, why wouldn't everybody do it? Because it's miserable. I've been there. That was the time of my life where I was most miserable. Because there was a conflict. And I didn't even know then about righteousness what I know now. But there was a conflict. Because I knew that I was not living up to behavior. I was not living up to the who I was in Christ Jesus. I knew I was better on the inside than the man I was living up to on the outside. And that made me miserable. That made me miserable. You can't escape who you are. One of the things that's always fascinated me about the Apostle Paul, there were two things that he identified over and over and over again. He tells about his own story. He tells about, you know, the tribe of, of uh, being of the tribe of Benjamin. He tells about being uh, schooled in the, by Gamaliel, who was one of the greatest of the, the, uh, uh, the Jewish rabbis. He talks about how he excelled in his zealousness against the church and, and was uh, on the fast track of the Pharisees and all this kind of stuff. He talks about himself more and more and more. Why does he do that? Is he bragging on himself? Is he just trying to, uh, you know, get something off his chest? No, he's, he's making something very clear to us. He knew who he was. He knew who he was. The second thing is he knew who God was in him. 
He knew who God was in him. One of the things that's always helped me recognize the work of God in me is to realize what was me and what was him. That's pretty easy for me because the me part is mostly the limited part. I'm very aware of the things that happened that I can't do. I'm very aware that that had to be God or else it wouldn't have gotten done. I don't think many Christians know who they are. I don't think many Christians know who the greater one on the inside of them is. They haven't realized who they've been born to be. You start coming into that realization. You start realizing that you were born to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Here's another one. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of a few. No, all. Many of the afflictions, hard times, tests, trials, and troubles. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. That means whatever your problem is, because you're righteous, there'll be an end to it. You'll come out victoriously. And see, that's one of the things the devil will try to beat you up about. The longer he can make something go, the more and more and more he tries to chip away at your confidence that it'll ever be any different than it is today. But you've got to promise it. That because you're righteous, the Lord delivers you out of every one of them. So I don't know how long your problems are going to last, but it'll end because you've got a promise from God. That brings me comfort. That brings me to the place where I don't have to worry about am I doing something wrong? Is there something I should be doing that I'm not doing? Is there something that I'm not doing that I should be doing? Did I say that twice? Well, whatever. You know what I meant devil try to get you both ways you're not doing what you should do or you're doing things that you shouldn't be many of the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers them out of them all here's a problem well I, I don't want to say it that way it, it makes it makes it seem like somebody's doing something wrong and I'm not the one to judge I have a concern let me say it like this I have a concern with some of the teaching that goes on in the body of Christ today it's great teaching it's truth. The grace message is true. No question about it. And the grace message, as I understand it, and from what I've heard of it, the grace message is about God's on your side. He's not against you. Quit beating yourself up about what you've done wrong. I'm all for that. That's true. But there's a, there's a, there's a danger in that. Because just as I said, I am born again, the righteousness of God. I've been born into the family of God, meaning I've been born again as a Christian. I'm trying to be a better Christian every day. You can take the grace message or you can take the idea that God's on your side and not work to be a better Christian. Now for me, what that means is to, to let the love of God that I've been born again with dominate every aspect of my life. To be ruled and, 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 and controlled by the love of God and not by my own desires or my own flesh or whatever. That's a constant thing for me. That's something that's continually in front of my eyes. But I see some people that are taking hold of the grace message and it's kind of like, oh man, now I can coast. Well, I'm not that person's judge. I'm not anybody else's judge. And if somebody's wanting to coast, okay, that's between them and God. But I don't want to coast. I want to grow in the love of God. I want to grow in the things of God. I want to grow in the character of Jesus. So I don't want anything to make me coast. I want something to make me stronger. I want the truth of the word to be a foundation that I can build on. 
not just a place where I can let go and float down the stream. So I have a concern about some of the things that are taking place in the body of Christ. Now you hear, some people will hear that and say, well, you're just trying to put us under, back under bondage. I'm not trying to put anybody under any kind of bondage. I just want to be the best that I can be according to what God's made me. But irrespective, whether I'm successful in that or not, I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've done the same thing. You've been made the, the same thing. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Who's going to help us do this? And I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter. Counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, standby. He's the one that dwells within you. He's with you and he dwells within you. There's some things I want to talk to you about during this series. I know I'm out of time, so I won't get into it today. But there's some things that I want to talk to you about as we, as we go further in this. And I, we'll come up with a title and all that kind of stuff to make the people happy that get freaked out when you don't have titles. <laughs> but there have been a number of things over the last several months. Just a number of things. Uh, you know, probably 50 things over the last several months that the Lord has either brought to my attention or I've come across... Uh, come under the knowledge of situations that people are in where I can see so clearly that it was the Holy Ghost trying to help them to avoid some problem. But because people don't know what the work of the Holy Ghost is supposed to be on the inside of us, they don't know what the helper is supposed to do, they don't pray these things out, and they don't miss the things that the Holy Ghost is trying to warn us to avoid. They wind up going through it, and they'll say after the fact, well, you know, I knew something. There was just something I've just known for a, for a month or two or, or however long. I've just known that something was like this was going to happen. Well, why would God give you that inward knowing without giving you an opportunity to avoid it? And unfortunately, I've got more experiences, not necessarily my own experiences, but these things that have come across. I've got more where people have failed to take advantage of the working of the Holy Ghost to avoid things than people that have taken hold of it and prayed it out and, 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 and detoured the tragedy that the devil meant for their destruction. Folks, that's not the way that we're supposed to live. That's not the greater one at work in the inside of us. Jesus did things that provided, protected, and, and preserved his disciples when he was here on the earth why would the holy ghost be any less jesus said i'll give you another comforter the same kind of comforter that i've been to you i'll give you another comforter and he'll abide with you forever he'll abide with you forever folks the work of the holy ghost hadn't changed since jesus sent him in acts chapter 2 the work of the holy ghost hadn't changed since jesus breathed on them in, in john chapter 20 the work of the holy ghost hadn't changed now the, the belief of the church may have changed but the work of the Holy Ghost hadn't changed. Jesus said he'd abide with us forever. The reason Jesus came to the earth and paid the price for sin is so that the Holy Spirit could live in you and me. His work is to recreate our spirits through the new birth and to fill us with God's divine power. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. But he's saying that the Holy Ghost will be the one that comforts us. In other words, the Holy Ghost is the only presence of God that there is in us, with us, and operating through us here in the earth today. So God's in heaven, Jesus is at his right hand, and the Holy Ghost dwells in you in the church here on the earth. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.